Hey, it's Ryan Rosillo. I'm the host of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast at The Ringer. We are a sports show, but we do it a little differently because we want to cut through all of the nonsense and try to figure out what's really happening and give you those bigger picture observations. Do a lot of NFL, a lot of NBA, and of course, college football. Also have a great guest lineup, a lot of athletes, front office guys, and even we do some actors and writers from famous TV shows and movies, plus our life advice segment at the end of every show. So make sure you follow The Ryan Rosillo Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. David, we haven't talked about a little media transaction that straddles sports TV and cable news. Charles Barkley is going to CNN to host a weekly show with Gail King. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the title of this new show? <laughs> I was going to ask you the same thing. It's so funny. Charles Barkley and Gail King together at last. And the name of the show is... King Charles. Love it. I was thinking about having you guess that the strained pun headline. It's not quite a pun. By the way, a little inside baseball note for listeners. It would have been better for me to have done research for this segment before this weekend's coronation. <laughs> King Charles kind of became a popular search term. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my first reaction, and please credit the press box for this scoop. Charles Barkley is not retiring from television. Mm-hmm. You may have heard him wondering aloud for, oh, the last decade or more, whether he was going to retire. No, it turns out he's adding television. Mm -hmm. Charles Barkley has even more bandwidth for TV shows. CNN's own piece, by the way, also quoted him like this. I want the show to be non-political, said Barkley, though he added that the show would touch on politics. Topics covered on the show, said King and Barkley, will range from Hard-hitting topics like gun control to lighter fare like food and pop culture. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, can I put it? Is it my turn to, <laughs> to talk? <laughs> Please. It's funny. It sounds a lot like the pitch for the press box. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I'm not sure if that was true, but it does sound a lot like the pitch for every amorphous as yet to be defined uh, to program on any platform. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, this is clearly the absence of a show, right? I mean, this is this is even less substance than every single, you know, every single previous CNN, MSNBC, Fox host who's like, you know, this new show is going to change the way we think about news talk. You know, it's <laughs> this is so much less defined than that. <laughs> Although on the one hand, I'm not sure that we, it needs more definition than Charles Barkley and Gail King. We have microphones. Um, certainly they'll have to, you know, sort of figure it out as they get closer. But at, at this point, I mean, this fall, you and I are, I'm sure, already making plans for our, like, kids' sports teams this fall. But it, uh, this fall is a million miles away in terms of TV production. So, you know, they, they got some time to figure it out. It was a totally, totally substance-free story. Although, I guess, what else could you would you expect from the official CNN story on it? Um, <laughs> did you see the Variety story on this? I don't think I did. The only, the, the, the interesting note from that is that they they really highlighted the notion of that the that, that TV networks are moving away from the need for talent exclusivity. That like, you know, Gail King and Charles Barkley both doing very notable other things. Gail King's on CBS this morning, Charles Barkley's doing basketball. Um, is that meaningful to anybody outside of the media world? It's not, though I've noticed it a lot at, CN, at uh, ESPN too. Like mm. this, this never happened in the old days. If you work for a network, you work for a network. Mm -hmm. And now we've seen Stephen A. Smith say, you know what? I'm going to have this like quasi political podcast. That's not going to be under the ESPN umbrella or Kirk Herbstreet. I'm going to inaugurate Amazon sports division by doing Thursday night football. Part of this is, I mean, maybe it's the podcastization of sports media contracts or whatever. It's like there's carve outs. It's also obviously has a ton to do with the power of agents in sports media that you could just, you know, go to the bargaining table and say, that's great. We agree. Except we're just not giving you like a solid third of this person. You know, <laughs> we got to We got to You know, we want fill in the blank to be able to do Alpo commercials of his own free will or whatever. But um, but I, that part's interesting. But going back to the show. uh I mean, we don't know what it is. Nothing's no. there. But I think it's not just about planning. It's about the experience of it. We talked about a million shows that this has happened to where you go in with, with the best of intentions or best, worst, whatever, one set of intentions. And then, you know, reality slash just the norms of cable news programming intervene. Um, I, I'm very interested in the sort you, you said the word bandwidth before in relation to Barkley. I don't think Charles Barkley has any idea, as defined a personality as he is, about what Charles Barkley, co-host of King Charles, is going to think about things a month into the run of the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that as a as a as a knock on him. He obviously is very opinionated and very and and very thoughtful in a lot of ways. I just don't think that you know until you get your sea legs. I don't think you're, he's going to know how this is going to feel, and I don't think he's going to know necessarily what the flow of the show and what his what his political stance? He's gonna. He claims he wants to be apolitical. I don't even know what 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 that would be pushing up against until he actually has some people in front of them that he's going to be arguing with or talking to. That's sort of his approach to basketball, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's what I'm sure I saw a tweet over the weekend that says he doesn't go to show planning meetings. And the Mm -hmm. whole magic of Barkley on inside the NBA is, hey, a thing just happened. I'm just going to have a reaction to it Mm -hmm. on the air. But there's all but that but that also that's going to be an interesting thing, too. I mean, as well. Right. Because last night was it last night he was talking about what's it how Jason Tatum isn't isn't on the level of some of the, the super duper stars. And he's talking about what the how low the low is. And he wasn't talking about numbers in any sort of like real referential way. Right. I mean, he 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 was making up the numbers as his points of reference off the top of his head. That's fine. That's part of the charm of Charles Barkley. I'm not sure if that's going to work for like statistics surrounding gun deaths on CNN. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll see. To your, to your point about it's a show without an idea of what it wants to be, I'll up you. It's a cable news network without an idea of what it wants to be. We've, had, we've heard CNN being like, we want to be less liberal. We want to be mm-hmm. less political. So now we've hired Charles Barkley to come in and say, I'm not going to be political. To use the slogans of the people that run the network. I mean, okay. I guess in theory, in theory, you could have a worse idea to take the ESPN reference than to, you know, than to say, we're just going to throw everything against the wall until we find our Stephen A. Smith, until we find our thing that defines the rest of the stuff that we do. But um but yeah, it's it is very it, they're in a searching phase, as many of us are. And um, it'll it, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. I, the thing the thing the, the thing that worries me about Barkley and not Gail King, because Gail King is immensely talented and is obviously in a very similar milieu right now. The thing that worries me about Barkley is how he will react to being to being viewed differently. You know how he will be react. The difference between being a being a meme in the sort of like shacked in a fool way or, you know, gone fishing on TNT sort of way and just being held to account across social media for getting things wrong is going to, that is, that has defined a lot of men of his generation in the past decade, the reaction to memedom and, and it doesn't always go great. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. You're really up in the ante and making those ad libs that much more freighted. Every time he goes, I hope there. he doesn't change at all. I hope he doesn't. I, honestly, I think he will be like nominally a force for good if he's j- if he literally just puts on earplugs and doesn't change. I mean, it'll be a show at least, you know. Attention, CNPR. If you want to advertise this in advance, David Shoemaker, you can quote him nominally a force for good. That's which for cable Please news, that's that's aiming high. Coming up on today's podcast. The New York Times made just about everybody mad with a profile of Elizabeth Holmes. What exactly went wrong? We have NBA playoff notes, including the announcer's flopping crisis and the most insincere compliment on TV. Plus, Donald Trump returns to the arms of an old lover. CNN. All that and much more on the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. media consumers brian curtis david shoemaker producer isaiah blakely here isaiah sitting in for erica david i woke up sunday turned over in bed looked at twitter as one does and by 7 a.m pacific legions and legions of people were upset about amy chosik's new york times profile of elizabeth holmes 
That is Elizabeth Holmes, the embattled and disgraced founder of Theranos, who's about to go to prison for a decade plus after being convicted of fraud. You read the piece. What'd you think? First of all, let me just say about your uh, Twitter experience. Um, I don't know if this falls into like the 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 feeler faster thesis uh, rubric, but it seems like of a it was absolutely omnipresent um, for that day, maybe less, maybe like a twelve hour span. And today, as I was prepping for this, I just did the real short handy thing of I'm just going to mess around on Twitter for fifteen minutes and then start finding people talking about it without trying too hard. Uh, and there was nothing. I mean, there, I think I found one tweet after scrolling around for a while, you know, and I was and just trying to find, kind of read my way back into the conversation it was impossible because the conversation was over. Um, but at the time it was absolutely electric. I mean, I have on first read, I think I had the reaction that a lot of people did, which was, man, this writer really got taken in, but it really did stick with the, I really did get stuck on the fact that the writer seemed to be at least somewhat, Chozik seemed to be self-aware of the fact that she was at least victim, a potential victim to being, to, to, to getting taken in. And I reread it today and I'm left with more of a question than an answer, which is if the piece was going to happen and there's a whole conversation about that, about the first part. If the piece is going to happen, and you, and the point of the piece is, I am writing a profile of a person whose sole motivation is to take me in. My, I'm not sure how it looks much different than this. Mm. Does that? Uh, that's not really a question, but it's like I'm not. I'm, I guess my question is, what would what what would one do differently? Because if you start from the premise that the author is self-aware, that the publication is self-aware, or is aware enough to, to know what's going on, what else do you really do other than, you know, maybe you don't hire a high-level photographer and maybe maybe you title the piece, look at this fucking con artist. But like the contents of the piece, <laughs> I thought given the sort of the framework of it might... Uh, it just felt like a thing where I can imagine being in the editorial suite, be, get taking a pen to paper and looking at this thing and kind of laughing with each other about how self-aware we are, right? But if you start from the premise that, you, that this author is getting taken in, then it really feels like they're getting taken in. My takeaway was the author didn't have a game plan. Mm-hmm. Or if they did have a game plan, they didn't execute the game plan. I because you're right. This is this is tricky from the start. And I feel like if you're going to say yes to this, you have to pick an approach of some kind. So you really feel like this is what we're doing here. And I came up with some possible ones which may answer the question you just posed. Okay. Number 1. Elizabeth Holmes isn't who you think she is. We can probably disregard this one because she is who we think she is. It's kind yeah. of preposterous. Also, well, there's notice, a point in the story. The, the story does get to a point where it identifies that she's exactly who we thought she was, right? I mean, she still thinks she's going to change. She still thinks that Theranos was a good idea. She still thinks she's going to change medicine, you know, like whatever. Like we exactly. get Exactly. 
And Chozik nods a little bit at like media perceptions of Elizabeth Holmes. Maybe you're challenging that, but we've already been through that cycle. All those magazine writers that got snookered when she was at Theranos mm -hmm. early in that whole thing. And then as Holmes herself admits in this piece, the pushback, and that's putting it very nicely, her team did against writers who were trying to expose what was really going on at Theranos. Mm -hmm. we've, we've been around that merry-go-round already. So let's push that aside. And by okay. the way, details like, well, she is a doting mother. Yeah. Not terribly responsive to critiques of Elizabeth Holmes. Like Brian and David are gimlet eyed observers of the media, but at home they love their kids. <laughs> well, I hope so. No, it, it's kind all of a it did low was ask bar. All it did was raise more questions. There were so many questions raised in this, but I spent the last the last scene where the writer is like walking up the driveway and encounters this like very deliberately staged moment of the <laughs> husband and wife dance slow dancing to no music in the kitchen and then dad leaves to go get a workout in and Elizabeth Holmes, sorry Liz, is left there to talk to her. The whole time I'm thinking, where are the kids? Right? It's just oh, like is there an interesting question. Is there a nanny? Or are we just not time? writing about the kids who are playing underfoot? It seems like we'd be mentioning them if they were underfoot. I don't know. It it, it just it, it ends up asking more questions than it resolves. Also, Liz, there's nothing that bugs me more on just a day-to-day -day basis than when someone's Wikipedia page has their abbreviated name listed as a nickname in quotations after their first name. Like Matthew, quote, Matt Smith or whatever, you know, it's like, like Liz going from Elizabeth to Liz is not a lifestyle change. It is a matter. It, like it's just a it's a it's, it's a it's a indication of like, you know, the time sensitivity of those people around you. Right? No, one, no one's like, oh, I want you to call me Liz now. What do you do? You do that in sixth grade. You don't do that when you're 40 years old. Not to mention the old profile writers trick. If there are two people. And this mm -hmm. is the person's full name, and this is the person's nickname, and those are actually two different people. That's when mm -hmm. I close the newspaper, close the magazine. All right, approach number two that could have been taken with this story. Elizabeth Holmes is exactly who you think she is. Yeah. And I guess you could go in there, spend some time with her and her person, as she calls her partner, and write that story. That mm -hmm. everything is. I'm not totally sure of the value of that story, really, because we've had a court of law and overwhelming public opinion form this picture of her. So you're not really moving the needle very much there. Mm -hmm. Approach number three to me would be you go in saying, this is going to be a looky loo peak at Elizabeth Holmes's life right before she goes to prison for a long time. Yeah. And maybe even within that, you say back when she was at Theranos, this is the image she was projecting. Wonderkind. Yeah. Some smart person who's figured something out. Right. Now, here as I stand with her, here is what she is projecting to me. Here is this is this master of projection right of getting people to think of her in a certain way here is what here is her doing it again at this later point at this in her life here's what she's trying to project could you do could you stand at 20 feet journalistically and do that story maybe 
aren't you way more interested in this story after she's in prison though? I mean, wouldn't you be more, I mean, isn't the actual story that you're kind of interested in just like dad and kids with mom locked up for 10 years? Like what, are, what is their life like? What do they think about Theranos? What do they, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that's a story that would actually ever get reported or that it would have the same audience clearly, but like, I don't know. I mean, I think what you, what everybody, well, sorry, do you have an, do you have another pitch that works better or is that the last one? No, that's the last one. Yeah, I just think what everybody's going to run up against, and you, and this is what you're running up against too, is like why, why are you giving it oxygen, mm -hmm. right? Like what, like I don't think what some people have said, which is if you're if someone's offering you a story where the soul, where the where the intention is clearly image rehab, I don't think you should. I don't think you should just say no, just automatically. Right. I think that there is certainly journalistic value in stories where the where the subject comes at you with a with a with a motive, uh, depending on what the piece is. And it's just your, you know, decision about how you're gonna try to get there, like what you're gonna seek out. Um But I think that the bigger question is one of is one of 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 audience, right? I mean, there's a part in the piece where they talk about how there's more I'm sure it's just fanciful numbers, but like how there's, you know, more links for Elizabeth Holmes than, than Osama bin Laden, you know, more hits for whatever and on online or whatever. Like, yeah, people care about this. Millions of people watch the documentaries and read all these pieces and read the books, and whatever else. Um, they might not care for the right reasons. And certainly she's sort of been turned into a caricature. Well, she turned herself into a caricature and then sort of been demonized and whatever else. I'm not here to say whether or not she deserves it, but, um, the, uh, this story was greenlit because they knew that a billion people would read it and that we would be talking about it and everything else. Right. I mean, that's the point of the story. So when you start from this sort of tenuous premise like that, well, uh, I, sorry, in terms of journalistic morality, the tenuous premise like that, then I then I don't know where you're really supposed to go from there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, what what is what on earth? I mean, you would not, you would not. I mean, could you imagine this with an under for a different crime? I mean, I don't want to do some, some f false correlation here, but if someone commits a murder, you don't go see what their home life is like in the weeks leading up to them reporting for prison, you know, and to see if they see that. I mean, maybe. I think people have probably done it. Uh, yeah, but, but you I know, mean, they've tried to, sort of to you get be a up sounding close, board for, I mean, the, you get up the, close the to that figure, right? Like, I think that is a no, journalistic true, impulse. But, but I'm to, not defending it, but it's, it's no, old. No, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. That stuff has happened. I, I guess I'm, 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 I'm not I'm not right on that. But but I think just the premise that a financial crime or this is actually goes beyond obviously goes beyond financial crimes as we can conventionally refer to them, but that the crimes that she's that she committed were somehow like a lapse and that there's a potential for for vindication or there's a there's a there's a potential that that if she could that if she's seen the error of her ways prior to going to prison, then maybe we can all agree we should just throw it out or something. Yeah. You know, that's I mean, not there's, even it's, really it's, advanced it's, here. You know, there's a little bit of the you know it wasn't my fault that's kind of put in here as the other guy that my my partner mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But that that's not really what's being. I don't even feel that that's 
being put forth here. No, no, not being advanced. I just feel like that's sort of baked into how this is tr being treated as a sort of a different, a special case. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I was uh, reading this tweet from Defectors Albert Bernico. He says, laboratory blood testing is not like other types of tech industry fraud. The people who do elaborate intentional laboratory blood testing fraud can't be treated like they just made some over-promised dating app for libertarian Burning Man vampires or whatever. Which I think is an important point here. And the story mentions a woman who had a healthy pregnancy and then this Theranos Edison machine she got tested by said she had a miscarriage. There are other examples of that, people getting test results back. So I think bringing some of that, more of that into the piece is probably really helpful to understand mm -hmm. this because I think one thing that does happen here is when you get, when you are face to face here and you're seeing motherhood and a partner and this life is forgetting the stakes of what we're talking about. Yeah. And there are stakes here besides money. There are real people out in the world and probably bringing that in would have helped a lot. I had another idea for this. Something that would have been interesting to see. Let's say an offer comes to the Times business desk. Some time with Elizabeth Holmes before mm -hmm. she goes off to prison. And the Times says, okay, we'll entertain it. But the person we're sending to write it is John Carreyrou, who broke all those Theranos stories who has mm -hmm. an exquisite Elizabeth Holmes bullshit detector who knows what the pressure of getting those stories into print was like. And by the way, mm -hmm. just conveniently join the times from the wall street journal. That's who we're sending. Yeah. And if the Holmes camp says, well, we don't like him too bad. That's who gets to write the story. That would have been an interesting approach as well. I think that kind of gets to the bigger issue at play here, which is that the success of Theranos relied so much, and Elizabeth Holmes relied so much on the naivete of the press that it wasn't just the person sitting in front of her, but it was this more this broader question of, you know, are are the claims that she's putting forward even in the realm of feasibility, right? And everybody just said, well, you know, it's tech. So the answer must be yes. We like the cut of her turtleneck. We'll buy it, you know? And or, and more, I think more centrally saying, judging the science, looking at the numbers, that's not really our responsibility. What we do is feature stories, mm -hmm. you know? And you're right. That would have been incredibly helpful here. Um, I think that, that it's... um. I think that's sort of the part of it that wrangles me is that there's, you know, there's the implicit, there's the fraud. <laughs> and then there's the sort of just like detachment from reality that that part seemed that, that, that anything that she was suggesting was feasible and to not, I don't know. It almost just seems like continuing to cover her in the same way is a sort of abdication of that role. So you're right. John Carrier should have been would have been an ideal person. Um, why would you not insist? Why would you not have somebody who could do the numbers? You know, who could run all that stuff? There, I, you're right. I remember when the Times did a big Tanya Harding profile a while back, and then you had all mm -hmm. these people who had covered Tanya Harding in 1994 come forward and be like, "Actually, here's what it was like. Here is <laughs> here are the beats of this story in real time. Those of us who were trying to assess what she did or didn't do, it's just different." 
to have yeah. that context. Uh, listener Declan McLaughlin tweets this at us. Is this a style of feature that should be retired? Seems like we haven't had a good profile with the author inserted into the piece in a while. Not willing to write off features where the author is wondering aloud about what they should write within the piece, which we also saw in that Brandon Sanderson wired profile. You I was remember? about to say, I feel like every time a piece rears its head on this show, it, that that's what we're talking about. But it is often a sign that the writer doesn't know what to write. Mm-hmm. And minus just flashes of crazy literary inspiration. That's probably a warning sign that this may be. Yeah. The sources that were used place. in this, Talking to her dad a lot just seemed a little bit beside the point. Although I'm sure I'm sure that was there, that was deliberate. There's a kind of lack of human interest and humanity in the actual subject, and even her husband or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, this is. I think that it's just a, there's a broader sense where it's just sort of the abdication of responsibility. Like it, like it would like listen. It was a, in a lot of ways it was a totally fine piece. And like I said, I'm not exactly sure how that they needed to go over the top any further to let you know that they weren't that that being that they weren't you know the chosik wasn't being conned but the piece itself was the con right the existence of the piece and the sort of abdication of responsibility in terms of it's a fine piece it's an interesting piece it's a fun read we're all talking about it but this might be the only piece someone in a year from now ever read this might be the only piece they ever read about elizabeth holmes right somebody trying to figure out what this story was all about. And this is what they're going to see. This is, this is all the information they're going to come away with. It's, it's, I don't think deliberately, obviously not deliberately misleading, but it is just a, such a sort of bizarre, a bizarre episode. Hopefully they come see us and we'll tell them to go buy bad blood <laughs> instead of writing this, reading this piece. Uh, let's do our new segment, which is called the NBA today. And this is spelled, David, not today in the conventional sense, but with a number two, the NBA mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And see, that allows us to own the IP. Great. Because if somebody else has something called the NBA today, we'll know. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> That's what we're doing over here at the press box. Mm -hmm. Couple notes for you. The first one is about injuries. And more than that, about fake injuries or exaggerated injuries. Mm-hmm. What I've been watching the NBA playoffs, and I thought this on Sunday, watching Anthony Davis get hit in the head and then watching him lie on the court holding his head. Mm -hmm. Announcers are in a really hard spot because there's so much flopping that whenever anyone is injured, they don't know how seriously to take it. Yeah. I mean... Anthony Davis, who is often injured, you might have heard on a talk show recently, who who whose injury would be a huge, huge setback for the Lakers in their series against the Warriors. Mike Breen just kind of looks at him and goes, Anthony Davis lying on the floor holding his head. And then everybody just moves on. Because we all know he's not that hurt. It's just really funny to me. Because <laughs> there have been actual serious injuries in the playoffs this year. But announcers now are just have been, again, taught this lesson so many times that the injury you're looking at, the apparent injury is not really as bad as the player is making it out to be, that they don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just kind of go It's ahead. interesting. It's like, it's like, you know, your kid's fighting. 
You know, it's like all you you round the corner into the room and all you know is that one of them's on the floor crying. And you're just like, oh, or OK, pretending to cry. To... Well, my, that's my, it. my son has some Marcus Smart in him. Mm-hmm. You know, just he, he goes flying across the room when his sister gets within three feet of him. And I'm like, should I should I intervene here? Is that really a flagrant yeah. one? <laughs> Mine's so much different because my because our my four year old has. Not just the Marcus Smart. He doesn't fake cry. He cries convincingly on command, right? I mean, it's he's he's he he riles himself up to the point of really crying in a snap. And our other kids, fourteen. You know, we, there's a ten year age gap, so you you find yourself just like talking to the fourteen year old, trying to like rationalize with him. It's just like this is gonna happen. You have to sort of manage the situation before it gets here, <laughs> but that's not fair. He's a little kid too, you know. So it's a you know. But anyway, we're way we're way off subject here. It is like you gotta you're walking into the room. There's tears. You gotta assess blame, not assess blame, but you gotta figure out how how hurt how seriously to treat this potential injury in exactly. the midst of all this other stuff going on. Exactly right in the heat of the moment. Um, and announcers now, they've decided, and I think probably correctly, on balance, to just be like, eh, he's fine. It'll be okay. By the time the refs finish this official review, everybody will be all right. Uh, second item for you here in the NBA Today. Spelled with a two. <laughs> you remember last year we had the Martin Brundle gridwalk during the F1 race down there in Miami. Yeah. Martin Brundle does this little celebrity walk around. Last year, he thought he was interviewing Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Turned out he was interviewing Paolo Bancaro, <laughs> then of Duke, now of the Orlando Magic. Thank you, Simon. I found Paolo Bancaro, who I found him last year. I just didn't get the name right in the beginning. But what a year you've had since you made me infamous. It's been a hell of a year. And I'm honored that you know my name now, man. It's been a hell of a year, and you're great at what you do. Yeah, genuine class from Bankero here. Um, I know why this got all this attention. I know why we're talking about it, and it's so lovely in so many ways. Also, just weird, like, strangely still more awkward and formal than I would have expected it to be, given, like, everybody knows we're in it. We're in this meme cycle together, sort of. I don't know. Uh, What do you think? How do you feel about the compliment? You're great at what you do. <laughs> I feel I've been told you're, that you're, insincerely a few dozen times in my life by people who may not think I'm great at what I do. It was the best possible way. Is it well? It's a little bit like the Costanza, the the um, uh, jerk store. You know, like where you, where you where you think of the comeback, like an hour later after you leave the building, that would have been the perfect thing for him to say the first time when, when Grindel, Grindel didn't know who he was. Right. If he was just like, Oh, I know who you are. You're great at what you do because it's so clearly substance free that it's like just saying, I don't know who you are either without actually <laughs> saying it. Exactly. It was beautiful in that sense. And I thought it worked really well here. Would have worked better a year ago, but still. Yeah. Or I don't have a ton of respect for what you do, but I'm sure you're great at it. <laughs> I think that's when I've heard it in terms of being a media critic. Yeah. I hear you're great at what you do, sweeping up poop on the ground. Coming up in 30 seconds, David, Trump is coming back to CNN this week. But is he coming back to the GOP primary debates? 
But first, mm-hmm. let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they were always gratefully received. This week's winner in a runaway are King Charles coronation jokes, especially ones involving that picture that had Charles holding two giant scepters. (laughs) I think they're scepters. I really don't care. I could not be bothered to read one explainer about the coronation this week. No. Do not give a shit, folks. But I did like these jokes. Here are some good ones. Uh, Bringing your dad both screwdrivers because you don't know what he's talking about. Uh, Just ordered (laughs) at the Cheesecake Factory. And when you have to hold mom's sticks while she goes to the bathroom. Also funny was a picture of Charles looking at a card. And you couldn't see what was on the card, so people were imagining my favorite was Charles trying to figure out if she underlined or crossed out his name. It's a good <laughs> succession reference. If you made the other King Charles feel like a must watch by comparison, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, David, let's do this week in 2024. We have got a big media event coming Wednesday night. Donald Trump is going to do a televised town hall in New Hampshire. And you'll never believe what network he's doing it on. When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, 
you are the enemy of the people. CNN's fake news. I don't well, take sir, questions. I don't take questions news, from CNN. Question. CNN is fake news. I don't take questions from CNN. John Roberts of Fox. Let's go All to right. a real. Let's go to a real. Net. That's right. CNN. This is the first time Donald Trump has granted an interview to CNN since 2016. Mm. Not a misprint. And it is a network, as you heard that News Nation clip, that Trump regularly ridiculed as president. Yeah, Caitlin of Collins of the now Don Lemonless CNN morning show gets the nod here as the moderator. Should CNN let Trump hold a town hall on its airwaves? Should? Should. This is a question about journalistic ethics or what, what well, genre am I am I living in here? That makes it sound awfully boring. But there were a lot of people who say, why are you giving Donald Trump a platform? He's a big liar about the 2020 election and other matters. Yeah. Should you be putting him on your air, interviewing him on your air at all? What do mm-hmm. you think about that? Oh, God. Why do I have to be the moral, the voice of authority here? Uh, I think it's inevitable that he will be on the air. Yes. So maybe you just need to figure out exactly how to frame his appearance. I think so. I mean, we learn. I think it would be, frankly, very valuable and hilarious to have him in a town hall where you get to pick everybody who's asking him questions. I mean, I'm guessing that probably wouldn't pass the negotiation phase. But (laughs) um, the questions CNN said are pre-screened, I think, for relevance and factual, the factual quality of the questions. They do know what the people are going to ask. To your other point, remember Savannah Guthrie interviewing Trump during 2020? Mm-hmm. And it was fact check, fact check, fact check. And did show a way to interview him on the air. Yeah. I've seen no reason Caitlin Collins couldn't do the same thing. I'm a little iffy on if regular people are asking Donald Trump questions. Is the moderator still going to be able to jump in and be like, by the way, the answer he gave you, Joe from Dixville Notch, is not actually true? Mm-hmm. Is that going to be able to happen in the same way if it's not just a straight up? Q&A. Yeah. But Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He is the leading candidate for the Republican nomination for president. Mm -hmm. So at some point, you're probably going to interview him on the air. Yeah. And I think your question is the right one. What are the what's how do we do it? Talked before. Do you do it on tape and then edit it up? Do you have uh, MTV VH1 pop-up video coming up to correct what he's saying. Do you have an anchor doing it in real time? <laughs> we'll see Wednesday night. Wouldn't you just love to see him? We talked before. We talked before we were coming on the air about the sort of, you know, all these the dudes you'll see on like social media or just like middle older middle aged white dudes with with cowboy hats or driving trucks and and you know the the gag is that it turns out they're like liberal at the end and they really and you're just like yeah he really made that point for all the people out there wouldn't you love just a room full of those guys that's the entire town hall and trump's just like yeah i want you to ask me a question and he just gets he just come you know just get, unravels more and more just trying to just <laughs> shout back at these dudes who he kind of is dimly aware or his or his, or his target audience yeah it starts out trump thinks they're the grown men, the big tough guys who are always crying when they meet Trump. (laughs) It turns out they're yelling at Trump by the end of the question. 
Mm-hmm. I would enjoy that. This interview is interesting because it's a subtweet in two different ways, according to all the reporting. One is it's a subtweet to Fox News. Mm-hmm. Oh, which for sure. Probably enjoyed a highly rated hour of Donald Trump town hall. Mm-hmm. It's also a subtweet to Ron DeSantis, who is not talking to CNN style outlets. Some other candidates are too afraid to take this step in their quest to defeat Joe Biden and are afraid to do anything other than Fox News, a Trump advisor tells Charlotte Klein of Vanity Fair. So that's interesting. The New York Times Trump scoop duo of Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan report that Donald Trump might skip one of the first two or maybe even both of the first two GOP primary debates, David. Yeah. This is not something way down the road either. Debate number one is going to be in August. Mr. Trump has made it clear that he does not want to breathe life into his Republican challengers by sharing the stage with them. I'm up by too many points, one associate who spoke with Mr. Trump recalls him saying. That's from Haberman and Swan's article. What do we think about Trump refusing to debate people who are lower than him in the polls? I hate that. So much of my Trump reaction this episode is just a shoulder shrug, but like, no, there was no way he was going to do it. He did. He has. He didn't want to do it last time. He did. He never. He never wanted to do a debate. Why? And I don't need to psychoanalyze particularly to say that. Why would he now? Now he's got an excuse. You know. Now I mean. Now it's not just he can just the media is out to get me. Uh, the Republican establishment is out to get me. Whatever. Like he doesn't. The government is out to get me. Um, why should he do it? You know, I mean, that's good. That's his thought process, obviously, but like, and he shouldn't, I mean, and, and the breathing life and other opponents, I mean, that's sort of the whole premise of a primary, right? I mean, that like people get it, you appear together on the debate stage so that people get airtime, you know, lesser, you know, less well-known candidates get that opportunity, but then they've already started doing the cutoffs or percentages and stuff like that in previous campaigns, which we all sort of applauded. So what do you, I mean... What are you going to do? Meet him halfway and be like, okay, we'll give you twice as much question. I mean, answer time. And you're going to be on a really tall podium compared to everybody else. <laughs> Can I take that take I mean, and rotate it 45 degrees? Cause you are sure. right. But isn't what's inevitable is that Donald Trump will tease skipping one of the debates. Mm-hmm. And that Donald Trump might also, when we get to debate mm-hmm. time, think mm, attention for me. We all said stuff like that. We all said stuff like what I just said. What I'm about to say four years, or sorry, eight eight years ago. Uh, you know, when we were, when he was doing it the first time, that it was it, it was a sort of faux campaign or whatever else. I mean, I think that there's we're in a slightly different state of affairs now, in which on the one hand it seems it's kind of more of a faux campaign in some ways, and still there's obviously a track record in which is which makes it much more a reality. Um, but I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what's in it for him. I think that winning and losing, there's some value there, although he probably, it's easier said than done. Said It's easier said than processed. But um, I think you, you you might be right. I think, I think, I guess the question for me is to what degree he's really trying to be president again. I don't know. That's a, that's a fascinating question. Whatever. I, I mean, I think that, pro, I think whatever degree he's will trying, end up being he's, right being pretty successful yeah at doing it he's up by a ton as he's pointing out so but i think even in even i mean listen he's never 
made a decision like that based, you know, in this sort of frame of frame of mind before. But honestly, I think he only stands to lose. Right. I mean, I don't I don't think that he will gain anything from doing the debate. So if you had like a real political consultant. Then they might they might advise him to do to skip the debates, too. I mean, I don't know. You mean like Pat Summerall's daughter? Yes, exactly like Pat Summerall's daughter. Yes. Still the, the hidden hand of the Trump campaign. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson before we get out of here. Since we last spoke, we heard about the racist Tucker Carlson text message unearthed by the New York Times. One had a line about, it's not how white men fight. There has also been this, been reporting on how many of these damning things are coming to light. Rolling Stone had a story about a secret oppo file inside Fox. Mm-hmm. that could be deployed against Carlson. And then from Axios, we learned that Carlson may have his own oppo file. I want you to appreciate the way this quote is worded. The ousted host, quote, knows where a lot of bodies are buried and is ready to start drawing a map, said a Carlson source who wasn't authorized to speak publicly. <laughs> Now, was that a cable news source or somebody on HBO's adaptation of Perry Mason, David? I know where the bodies are buried and I'm ready to start drawing a map. Carlson's contract runs to January 2025, according to Axios. So what he's trying to do is get out of the contract so he can be some part of this presidential election, either on another network, on a podcast, on a video thing, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And Fox, of course, would say, well, we don't want him competing with us. And we're willing to pay him out and just keep him off the air for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of bizarre if, if you, when you look at it, that this is a, such a such a showdown that seems to be so weighted, right? That like the information, the bodies, the info on the buried bodies on both sides seem to, I mean, really feel like they're incredible. It's incredibly significant right now, right? I mean, and everybody would love for this to be an open source showdown, right? Everybody everybody wants to know where all these bodies are buried. This is the um, Fox News trial we didn't get. Like now, oh, it's it's going to come out now yeah. in this war between Tucker and Fox since it didn't come out in open court. But so much of it now is just, it is, it's just posturing on both sides, you know? And, and obviously it's not empty. We, you know, things are being released. Fox is out there threatening to sue Dominion again because things are leaking out from that trial and now Tucker's, you know, making, you know, already sort of acting like he is a free agent on the way to his next media empire, whatever else. There's rumors out there that he and Elon Musk have already chatted about what the future might hold. Um, I don't remember if I said this, but someone was theorizing on Twitter last week as we were having the Tucker conversation that someone's already fantasy booking Elon Musk buying CNN and and putting Tucker on the air. And now with CNN and Twitter combined, then you can really turn a profit. I mean, who knows? (laughs) But uh, keep us in business for another few years. We'd be fine. We'd be we'd be the real winners in that story. But it's all posturing. I mean, everything that comes out is going to be measured is going to be so deliberate and we're not going to find any bodies. They're going to give us a toenail or two and then, you know, let people freak out about DNA evidence for the next five years. 
Washington Post reports that Tucker Carlson also wants to hold some kind of candidate forum. His own Mm -hmm. Republican debate during the primaries, which would also be a subtweet of Fox News. Lots of Fox News subtweeting going on. There's nothing better this time of year. I mean, the one great thing about the diffusion of media is people trying to people trying to prove their power by putting stamps on candidates. Just we, I th- we were so close. We were so close to I don't care what the local newspaper says about you know who they tell me to vote for anymore. And now we're just back on different. Now we're get- now we have the, the every podcast and vlog has a freaking primary that people have to pay attention to. It's time for a feature where one podcaster always has its say. It's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline, what David sounds enthusiastic today, about the fall of a retail giant was Bed, Bath, and the Great Beyond. Mm -hmm. Today's headline comes from me. I was doing a tour of the book catalogs summer book catalogs as one does and i came upon a book david that is a history of a small object you know that genre well and i'll tell you the history of Mm -hmm. this smallish thing perhaps even a kind of fish and then explain why it contains multitudes big fan of those books yeah this book is by keith houston the subtitle is the rise and reign of the pocket calculator the rise and reign of the pocket calculator. I want you to think of early Steven Spielberg as you ponder what was W.W. Norton's strained pun book title. I mean, Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind or something? Is that where we're going with it? That's pretty good. It's not it. A little, little more uh, obscure. Um. Different movie, yeah. Uh, um, I think uh, very young Christian Bale, John Malkovich. Um, what well, I don't know this movie, very young Christian Empire that was, of the Sun. Oh, Empire of the Sun, mm-hmm. Empire of the Sum, Empire, Empire of, of the, the Sum is no, correct. Empire <laughs> of the Sum, he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Isaiah Blakely sitting in for Erica. Thank you, Isaiah. I'm back later this week with Pressbox Final Edition. And then on Monday, Shoemaker and I will return with a little succession talk. That should be fun. Plus more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.